Buzzkills Live, the show that's been known to toss a word salad or two and still knows more about abortion than a TV doctor. I'm Liz Winstead, and as always, I'm joined by my fabulous co-host, Moji Alamodayal. Hello, and the Regal Marie Khan. Hello, everyone. Coming up on today's show, between abortion bans and anti-abortion forces shaping curricula, medical students are scrambling, even traveling out of the country to find abortion training. We deep dive into this crisis with Med Students for Choice Executive Director, Pamela Merritt. Plus, louder for those in the back, abortion is an economic issue. We bring the literal receipts to this tired old debate that tries to separate out these inextricably linked issues. All that and a round of the good, the bad, and the clinic openings. What? That's right. There's a lot of news. So before we get to it, there is a cool action I want to tell you about. So if you listen to last week's pod, we broke down three different stories of patients who were denied care, almost died because these horrifying abortion bans have forced doctors to send folks to other states because the doctors are at risk of going to jail, huge fines, and losing their licenses if they provide this medically necessary care. Well, a group of doctors are fighting back and have formed an organization called Obstetricians for Reproductive Justice, and Abortion Access Front is teaming up with them November 3rd, next Thursday, to broadcast live on Instagram a Washington, D.C. event they're doing where they are telling their stories all together of what they are facing and how they are not able to provide care. They're hoping that the D.C. backdrop will really be a wake-up call to politicians, and I am so excited that Abortion Access Front is teaming up with them to bring their story out to the world. And we're the only place that's live streaming it. So it's going to be pretty cool. I'm really excited about that. I feel like, you know, we we as an organization rightly center patients a lot, but obviously the harm that is to patients is also being inflicted on doctors at equal or close to equal measure. Yes. And I appreciate like, it sucks that obstetricians in particular have to get together and do this. Like, where the fuck are the heart? Where are the cardiovascular doctors? Where are these other communities? Like, you, you all need to be showing up as well. But I also, like, it's empowering to see obstetricians unifying and seeing this and being as scared as I think the rest of us have been that are in different pockets and spaces of of the reproductive access and abortion access area. It's true, Marie. And the and the people who are gathering, uh, some are from states where they're feeling the overload of mm-hmm. having to deal with these patients. And some of them are absolutely at their wits end practicing care in states where they have literally had their hands tied. And if they do anything about it, could have their hands cuffed. And so I'm really proud of them because it's it's not easy to be an abortion provider in the best of times, like there's best of times. But in these scary times, as we see the rise of white nationalism and we see the rise of violence and we see the intersections of these horrible white supremacists and anti-abortion violence to come forward 
is really important. I mean, I know how moved and sad and and stricken I was just by reading the stories and talking them with with people in our movement. But I think the public to hear the stories of how doctors are struggling. Can you imagine you give eight, 10 years of your life to train to be somebody who provides care no matter what? And then that's stolen from you and you have to hope your patients will get good care someplace else because you simply can't do it. It's really just so sad. It's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. So it's a great call to action and we have six whole days to promote it. And hopefully you're going to set your calendars and your Alexas and your Google (laughs) machines to remind you to watch that live stream. It will be 1230, November 3rd, 1230 Eastern, November 3rd on the Abortion Access Front Instagram. But Until then, we have a podcast to do, and we have a whole bunch of stories we want to cover, and then some we want to deep dive into, and some amazing guests. So, Moji, why don't you kick off the episode with some trash? Yep. Let's just mosey on down to Georgia. So, it turns out in 2019, Georgia passed a fetal personhood law, which essentially outlaws abortion around six weeks whenever there's a fetal cardiac activity. Um, Now, they did this in 2019, and, you know, it was a symbolic act then that we probably talked about on our podcast. But after Roe was overturned, it kind of became the law of the land when the Georgia courts refused to block it in July. So this week, the state has gone to court to argue the constitutionality of the law, as it truly just may violate their constitution and the right to privacy. Um, It does, not that these are, you know, there's no such thing as a good abortion ban, but it does have exceptions for rape, incest, and health of the patient, but we already spoke about how these bans critically delay patient care and don't actually do anything to help people who need help. So we'll get a ruling in about three weeks after the midterms, and we'll let you know what happens. I'm sure it's going to be great news. Mm -hmm. Well, in illegitimate court news, we got a double dose of Samolito this week, which makes rainbow fentanyl seem like baby aspirin. I feel like we need a pill for that. Uh, we might need a pill for that. You know, I don't even know what it would be. First, we found out from Ted Kennedy's memoir that Alito fell all over himself to assure Kennedy that he believed Roe was settled law. Then later in the week, he decided to let the audacity flow at an event at, wait for it, the Heritage Foundation. Aliko shed some crocodile tears about how his life was in danger after his decision to uphold laws that not only allow bounty hunters to stalk folks assisting people who need abortions, but by pouring gas on the repro fire, he started by overturning Roe v. Wade, which is destroying thousands of actual people's lives every day. Thoughts and prayers, my dude. Thoughts and prayers. Oh. Well, I am excited to pivot from that into the good. California, the state is taking a cue from what their voters want, and they have a measure on the ballot next month that's going to be expanding access to abortion care. Proposition one would amend the state constitution and explicitly grant the right to an abortion and contraception for state residents. Folks are also noticing that the restrictive language surrounding viability that the state currently has would be removed if this proposition would pass. California could have a future for doctors to provide safe and legal third trimester care one day. That is really exciting news, especially as we are just forcing people to go further and further into their pregnancies Mm -hmm. to get the care they need. So go California. I am going to pivot to this week's new third 
way of looking at the news, which is clinic openings. That's right. It's too good to be true. And we're going to just talk about the expansive care in my home state, Minnesota. So if you want to get baptized in the abortion waters of Lake Minnetonka, Minnesota awaits. <laughs> my home state, the land of 10,000 lakes, has become a haven in the Midwest and soon could become the land of 10,000 abortions as a repeal of restrictions has allowed patients to get day of care and has expanded who gets to provide care to midwives and physicians assistants. May we recommend the Whole Women's Health Alliance in the Twin Cities or the WE Clinic in Duluth or the Red River Clinic in Moorhead for your abortion needs. The websites to all of those amazing independent providers that have no weight will be in our show notes. That's right. No weight. Whoop, whoop. Also in clinics opening, uh, Clinics for Abortion and Reproductive Excellent or CARE is opening a clinic in Pueblo, Colorado. They already have two other clinics in Maryland and Nebraska. So they're not new to this abortion game. They know what they're doing. Uh, the building is still being renovated in Pueblo, but when they open, it'll offer abortions up to the second trimester and birth control. Hell yes, that warms, really, really warms my heart. I also would like to highlight my state is doing something cool. Oh, good, Marie. Get Wisconsin. <laughs> I mean, because I'm very, they haven't been doing too many cool things, but no. you got something going on. Dude, the, when I can get through a day without you bringing up Brett Favre, which you already did earlier today, <laughs> it's, it's a good day for me. My heart was so happy when I heard this news. So when Roe fell, Wisconsin as a state went dark immediately for legal abortion, along with Missouri, along with other states um, in the U.S., Affiliated Medical Services, the only independent clinic that was left in the whole state, and their doctor and owner, is working with another Wisconsin physician to reopen across the border in Rockford, Illinois. And geographically, a clinic here is so needed. It was needed way before Roe fell. And I feel like these three stories, they just really round out the dedication and care that independent abortion providers have for their patient communities and for, for gaps and where they see themselves needing to be. It's mm -hmm. true, Marie. And like when you talk about abortion expansion, it's always these independent clinics who are scrapping two nickels together and doing GoFundMes and putting their kids' college funds up for, you know, down payments because they are so dedicated. You're right. So it's very exciting. As you know, we put these and all of our stories in our show notes. And this is the point in the show that we always remind you that the best and most up-to-the-minute resource on accessing abortion care and funding your care is it I need an A.com? That's I need an A.com. So let's get to our featured stories of the week, y'all. Marie, kick us off. Yes. As we approach elections this fall, FBK Live would like to remind everyone that not only is abortion a human right, but it's a huge economic issue unto itself. Conservatives love to act like their offering plates solve local hunger, but we know for a fact that is not happening. And for some reason, we think it's wrong to recognize that a huge deterrent and a concern to having a child is the sheer cost. Lost wages, the cost of the entire process of a successful pregnancy and delivery, and an increase in mouths to feed. This is just practical common sense and will disproportionately affect those who economically are now being forced to have children. So yes, the cost of abortion is as important as gas prices and mortgage rates. And having a child directly affects how those costs relate to the people that parent them, whether they wanted to or not. Good abortion laws and restored access mean that other areas of the economy can flourish and be participated in. 
not the narrative that right-wing media is pushing, that an increase in abortion rates is increasing inflation and is a problem. This this should be this should be an economic issue in elections, y'all. This is, should be something we get behind and talk about. Like it's shocking that we're not that people are not talking about it, that we do get to see these right wing politicians sort of spread the narrative that like, don't worry about abortion, worry about the economy. It's like, um, they're the same. These are probably politicians that are like, I would hazard to guess, give an allowance to their spouse and their <laughs> spouse is the one that, you know, takes care of the children and they would never call them spouse. They would call them wife, of course. And it's it's just enraging to see this is. This this issue is like tied to people's personal economy and what we choose to do with our money. And it's just taking out it's taking out those people that can become pregnant and will become pregnant out of the equation entirely. I just don't understand how this even got parsed out. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To trying to not get pregnant costs money and a lot of money. If you choose to get pregnant, prenatal care costs a lot of money. Yeah. when you give birth, that costs a lot of money. Raising a kid costs a lot of money. When you decide you get pregnant and you need an abortion, that costs a lot of money. There is nothing around the issue that doesn't cost a lot of money. You know what's free? Fucking. Fucking is free. <laughs> so it's kind of like fucking is free. For all the, for everything else, there's MasterCard. <laughs> <laughs> But I, but like, that, like that's what I don't understand. What part of a reproductive life relationship? And this is what kills me. This is, this is if you're anti-abortion or you're pro-abortion, shit costs money. You know, yeah. if you're out there lobbying because you don't want people to have any constitutional rights to run their body, that costs money. Your shitty ass, you pay rent on your shitty ass fake clinic. Right. Mm-hmm. You you all of it. It all costs money. It all costs money. So whoever said abortion is not an economic issue is literally the most unqualified human being to ever say words. Uh, and definitely to talk about the economy. One hundred percent. So we just can't say it enough. But so let's just remember that um, fucking is free. For everything else, you need MasterCard. <laughs> you know, as we talked about earlier in the chat, you know, the fear that abortion providers have about the, you know, retribution and all of these laws has them reconsidering if they even want to practice abortion care in some cases. And as Moji is about to point out, if doctors are leaving the field, the scarcity of where medical professionals can actually train in abortion care is a problem that has profound ramifications. Truly profound. And, you know, again, we, we, we as a podcast spend a lot of time discussing the patchwork landscape of abortion restrictions and how it makes it difficult for patients to receive care. But it also makes it very difficult for medical students to learn how to treat patients who need abortion care or miscarriage management. And of the 6,600 OBGY residents in the U.S., about 44% are unable to access abortion training in the state they're enrolled in. Now, the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education requires that OBGYN residency programs provide training. And they had to update their guidance in September because they were like, where where are students going to get this guidance, right? Like if you live in Missouri, if you live in Texas, where are you going to get it? 
So it's just kind of updated that like, you got to find it. But you know, clinics are overwhelmed, right? They're out there trying to care for patients. And so training medical students because another thing on their already full to-do list. So what to do? Increasingly, medical students are traveling both out of their states, but also out of the country to be trained in abortion care. Can you imagine? I can imagine. And you know, this is something that when we started Abortion Access Front, we started um, one of the first organizations that we worked with was an organization called the Reproductive Health Access Project. And they have been helping train doctors and medical professionals to do abortion care for years. And so I was digging around just to kind of find out like how long this crisis had been going on. And I found an article from 2005 that talked about how 55% of med students then had no clinical exposure to abortion. 32% of med schools offered a lecture, one lecture as abortion wow. training. And 23% of the students that they talked to said they had no formal training at all. And it really freaked me out because as I was reading, there was really weird shit. Like in the 70s, the state of Arizona immediately said, we're going to, we're going to not be able to provide abortion at our college facilities. And that was to negotiate with state legislatures to get a $5 million grant to renovate their fucking football stadium. So we're saying pregnant people's care is being sacrificed for athletes? Yeah. Mm. Brett Favre. Brett Favre in Mississippi. That was volleyball <laughs> in Mississippi. It was athletes in Mississippi. <laughs> his daughter's, wasn't it his daughter's volleyball his team? His daughter's volleyball. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because rich people's daughters' volleyball teams fully need money. Yeah. Um, and poor people with children and no money, they don't need money at all. No. Um, that's just math. <laughs> Um, what's really terrifying about this travel is, A, like international travel is expensive, right? So we're basically saying only the most privileged. And then international programs, they don't have much capacity because they're enrolling students from the abortion-restricted globe. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that we don't talk about that often, you know, we often talk about how antis that are like activists and politicians who are antis who are activists are out there making these laws and being trash. And one of the things that I didn't profoundly understand was how brutal the anti-abortion physician community is. And even within med schools, another article I was reading, there was one student who said that his anti-abortion classmates celebrated when his obstetrician gyno dad, who was one of the only town's abortion providers, unexpectedly passed away. Damn. Another student- Heartbreaking was written up for, quote, professional concerns after referring a patient to Planned Parenthood. And so, wow, yeah, there's so much to unpack here that I'm really excited to bring on our guests because this conversation needs to go much deeper. Yes, let's get to it. Our next guest is the executive director of Medical Students for Choice, where she leads a dynamic team supporting future abortion providers and pro-choice physicians in over 29 countries across the globe. Please welcome Pamela Merritt. Pamela, thank you for joining us. Hey, Pamela. Thank you so much for having me. Hello. Hello, hello. Hi. (laughs) So we are so excited to have you with us. Can you first lay out what the work of Medical Students for Choice looks like and 
all you do to support future abortion providers. Thank you for the opportunity to do so. So Medical Students for Choice was founded in 1993 by medical students who have been advocating for um, abortion training and education and family planning um, training and education to be included as part of the core curriculum for every um, medical student in the world. So it started off in the U.S. We are currently in um, 30 plus countries across the world. Our largest membership is in the U.S., but our fastest growing membership is in Africa. And what we do is support every single medical student and physician in training who is seeking abortion education and training. And we connect them through our own abortion training institutes, which um, are uh, uh, two-day sessions where faculty instruct uh, medical students and they're able to ask questions along the way. We also uh, support externships at clinics so that medical students can go um, into the clinic and shadow a doctor, a provider. And we have uh, advocacy training throughout the year on how to advocate for curriculum reform. And then obviously now, given the Dobbs decision, how to advocate for your med school administration to support your right to a comprehensive education. We actually earlier in the episode referenced that uh, about 44% of med school students in the U.S. won't have access to in-state abortion training. Um, So you spoke a little bit about what what your does, um, but can you like lay out what abortion training in American med schools looks like or what it should look like? Wow. Okay. So what it looks like. And maybe the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Just a primer. There you go. What it should look like is that every single person um, who is in med school um, should be able to, after they complete their four years, be able to speak in a medically accurate way about abortion, about miscarriage management, and about family planning. So whether it's a podiatrist, a dentist, or a gynecologist, everybody should have that as part of their core training. Um, And what it looks like is absolute chaos. So even before the DOPS decision, it is not part of the accreditation requirement for medical schools to include abortion training and family planning as part of the core curriculum. It's ridiculous. Um, I think it was a largely political decision that they were able to avoid uh, including it because they could always fall back on the the clinics to provide education, but they could also fall back on the fact that residency programs are required to include abortion training um, and, and education. So they're like, well, if you don't get it in the medical school part of your education, you'll get it when you go into residency. All of that changed on, on June 24th. So Right now, um, when when we say that we're in a crisis, we are in a fast moving um, crisis that will impact every single person in this country in one way or another. You know, it's it's astounding because as people are terrified to remain in the practice and maybe want to retire and go out and that students are having a really hard time training, um, I was just reading we did such a deep dive. We were also invested in this topic. And I was reading articles back in 2005 that just talked about how, you know, 
55% of medical students have no clinical exposure and 23% say that they got no formal training at all. And in one article I wrote that we, we were just, we were talking about it amongst ourselves and really wanted to sort of hear your thoughts on it was not only just the anti-abortion outsiders, but the anti-abortion physicians who were really laying out some serious shit. There was one OB student whose father was the only abortion provider in the, their community and and their and their father died um, of natural causes, but unexpectedly. And their classmates were cheering in front of this person, right? And so talk a little bit about the thing that we don't talk about, which is pro-choice med students having to live in an environment where anti-abortion people are free to report people for recommending a patient go to Planned Parenthood and things like that. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And, and I want to say is that every single day I have the honor of working with an amazing team at MSFC that supports some of the most medical students I've ever met in my entire life. They are just think about it this way. They're they're in med school. They are you know, advocating on top of that, they are petitioning their administration to go to more coursework, to go do more learning, to become the best doctors that they can be. That's the gynecologist I want. That's the physician or the family medicine physician I want. And it breaks my heart that there are medical students who have hundreds of them who want to go and work in communities that have really horrible pregnancy outcomes. And keep in mind, we have the worst pregnancy outcomes in the United States in the developed world. So you're really doing poor work and not supporting at the lowest of the low. But there are medical students who want to provide in Louisiana. They want to provide in Texas. And now they're faced with the reality that they, they can't get a modern, comprehensive, competitive education in these states. So they're going to, they're going to go where they can, and then they might not come back. So I can't stress enough that we have a physician shortage in the United States. Um, We have, you know, just burnout and exhaustion because politicians let the COVID pandemic run amok and it had just a devastating effect on the professional medical community. But this is having an, a similarly chilling effect, and we could potentially see the regionalization of OB-GYN care in a, in a way that will only make our already horrible pregnancy outcomes worse. This is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And we're fighting against it. I mean, I want to make it clear that I wake up every morning mad, angry, and prepared to go to war. So um, medical students for choice. Um, is holding, uh, you know, medical school administrations accountable. At the very least, they should be transparent with people who are applying to medical school and with their current students about their intention of whether to include abortion in family planning training. Um, And then obviously, we're asking the accrediting body to wake up to the reality that, uh, you know, people who experience pregnancy make up a huge percent of the population and add abortion training and family planning to the core, to the accrediting process. Um, but I urge people to support med students and support their activism to 
include the dialogue about medical education when we're talking about abortion access. Um, medication abortion is awesome. And I, I love I love me some medication abortion. Mm-hmm. But access is about being able to choose the care you want and need. And we need providers. And we have med students who are willing to fight and are willing to organize in order to become those providers. And we need your support. You know, it. We, that's sort of our anthem and our mantra. You know, I'm someone who I've had three in-clinic abortions because the first one I had in high school, um, I couldn't go home and have an, you know, first of all, medication abortion wasn't even around then, but second of all, but second of all, I wouldn't have been able to go home and have my safely. And um, I didn't know my body well enough to know, to feel comfortable with that. And, you know, all of that around that is key. And one thing I wanted to ask, and then Maria, I want to turn it over to you is, you know, as we talk about, oh, people have to go then out of state to go to their med schools to be able to provide that. Like the parallels, again, of privilege, of of who doesn't get to go to the med school that maybe they could afford or that's in community, they could live at home and do that, then serve the communities that, you know, if you're from a community, what joy people have in serving that community. Will you talk just a little bit about, you know, again, all of this stuff is racist and classist and plays into this narrative that, again, only privileged people who don't have the experience and cultural competency of their communities have to ha- can't get training where they live and also can't afford to go back to communities that need help. Exactly. Right. Like, oh, <laughs> it always has to be couched in the privileged coming to say help the underserved as opposed to like, you know, people can help themselves if you give them the tools. Hello. Exactly. Um, so I when the when the Dobbs decision came down, I was incredibly mindful that some of the historically black um, medical schools were going to be faced with um, the weight of this decision. So I think it's important to lift up the fact that, um, you know, there are some amazing medical schools that now are 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 in states with abortion bans um, that are impacting their ability to to train and educate their students. We all know that the impact of um, having culturally competent medical providers for uh, health outcomes. But what we're really talking about is the reality of geography. And as a, as a Missouri Missourian and a Midwesterner, I can tell folks that um, people have already been driving long distances to try to access care. I don't know too many med students who can um, like drive four and a half hours, go do clinic time so that they can get enough hours of experience in abortion and then drive back. It is when you look at the South and you look at um, the upper South, kind of Arkansas, Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, you are looking at blocked in geography where people can't just drive over a bridge. So, um, you know, I I'm in. Illinois, right across the river from St. Louis. So people can drive over that bridge and do training. That is not the case for most of these states. And whether you're rich or not, uh, unless you have a helicopter at the waiting, you're not going to be able to do it. I also want to make sure people understand that these schools, these state legislators aren't making it easy to do it. Um, We have chapters in Wisconsin where the med students are being told that they're not going to be able to get away credits for abortion training they receive in states where it is legal. 
or that the, the university, their med school might not extend liability coverage for training that they get in a state where it's legal. That is not an exception. We are dealing with some of the nastiest, most regressive restrictions on basic human rights and the right to education that I have ever encountered in over 20 years of organizing. So it's not as simple as jumping over the state line. And I know you've you've spoken definitely, um, Pamela, and this is wonderful, about the context in the U.S. We also have students now leaving the U.S. because they can't get into the programs to do what they want to do. And now they're going into other spaces abroad. And I'm wondering, I'm from the Midwest also. I grew up in Wisconsin. And with Midwest Access Coalition, who I work with in particular, yes, it's these Midwesterners that I know they deserve to have someone who understands rural medicine, who's trained in those spaces, who understands communities. What what do you think or what are your concerns or what what are things that you want people to be cognizant of who now now might have an abortion doctor that was educated overseas, hasn't had exposure and experience to the space they're growing up in here in the U.S. and just don't isn't going to understand fundamental things? What are what are your thoughts on that? Gosh, you know, um, you when I first started um, working at MSFC, I had this grand idea that we, because we have relationships all over the world, that we'd be able to circumnavigate yeah. this, uh, this decision. But the reality is, as a reproductive justice activist, that I have to think in our organization thinks with an equitable approach to mm-hmm. training and education. So here's the reality, which is as the world trends towards more abortion access, we also have to trend towards equitable access to education and training. So yes, there are some students who are able to um, to get that education abroad. It is that is not a solution, and it is not mm-hmm. going to be a mm-hmm. significant number of students because what we're not going to do is bump medical students from the global south who are trying to get training in Europe or in the UK mm-hmm. because the United States decided to hand over medic- medical um, provision to a regressive conservative court. That's not the way justice is achieved. And so I think a lot of people in this country are realizing that the easy solutions that used to apply um, are not going to be in, in, in force just because, you know, we're we're working towards liberation and justice, not towards America getting um, uh, to to skip ahead in the line. That's exactly yes, because that's one thing we were talking about amongst ourselves is it's all well and good. Again, Americans with means can go overseas and train. They're not going to stay in the community that they're training in. Does that bump out people in that community training? Like all that stuff matters. It does. And all of these things could have been factored into the decision to gut, um, you know, in a a network that took 49 years to put into place. Um, But, you know, we're we're learning this the hard way. It's not going to be an easy fix. And particularly when we think about the education and providers and where they're going to be regionally, I think the bigger question to ask is what happens when you don't have a rural hospital to go to, when you don't have a birthing center to go Mm -hmm. to, when you're not just driving four and a half hours to go to an emergency room, but you're driving four and a half hours for well baby checkups and everything. You know, as I said, we are failing pregnant people in this country every single day. 
We have the worst pregnancy outcomes in the developed world, and they just made it harder for organizations like Medical Students for Choice to improve those numbers. I love that you said that they got a, a network that was 49, uh, 49 years to put in place. Also, it was not a sufficient network. Nope. I was not even doing that great. Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> but besides Medical Students for Choice, are there other organizations you could speak of that are trying to fill the gap in getting training? Um, what are a few of them that maybe you know? And it feels like a redundant question, but are those places at capacity? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would say that, you know, I have tremendous respect for physicians for reproductive health. Um, I think that they do tremendous work. Um, we are um, in partnership with AMSA. Um the American Medical Student Association that also does uh, just a broad range of advocacy and training, um, and they are working on this problem. I also want to lift up the awesome people at UCSF, mm-hmm. um, at University of California. So the Ryan program and so many, I'm missing some, but the the work to support residents and medical students is not one, is, is not something we do alone. Um, we really own the lane of, of this advocacy, but um, we are part of a broader community that is doing everything they can. And I'm just amazed at the work that's going that's going on around me. Pamela, one question I have is, as there are these programs that are helping train people, the costs, those aren't, are they free? Like, that's one thing I don't understand. Like, do you have to pay extra money from your already expensive schooling to then do this extra abortion training also? Well, that's why Medical Students for Choice is out and about fundraising and trying to get money. <laughs> because... I was leading you to that. I needed <laughs> nice. you to get there. You, you slid it perfectly. Thank you. Yeah, one of our, I mean, as I as I articulated earlier, we're, we're committed to making sure that people are not, um, that people who need financial support, which is basically every indebted medical student I've ever um, that they're not having to come out of pocket. It's outrageous that so many do, but we, our work um, is to make sure that when they're traveling for an externship in a clinic, that that travel is paid for, make sure that when they are staying um, in, in, in a, in a rural town where they're learning how to, to provide rural medicine, that they have a place to stay that they're not paying out of pocket for. So all of that costs money. And the fact that we have fewer clinics, that we have to fly people all the way across the country, as opposed to helping them move just, you know, within the same state, all of that costs money. And in order for us to be able to to continue to do this work, um, those costs are mounting. They're already through the roof. um, As far as our capacity to meet the need. The need is huge. Medical students want this training. Medical students want to know how to provide abortion, how to counsel for abortion. They want to be prepared, but we do need um, financial support. So you can go to msfc.org and donate, um, and you can reach out to us and we will help you pull together a fundraiser, Um, but every dollar helps. Thank you so much for that information. We had time for one more quick question. We wanted to ask the advice that you have for the young folks who are hoping to go to med school and become abortion providers. My advice is um, to, to ask important questions. Ask questions of existing medical students. Ask questions 
of alumni of that medical school and ask questions of the administration and the dean. Are you committed to abortion training and education? Is there a public facing document on your website declaring your commitment to abortion training and education? Who can I talk to about their experience training on abortion and family planning while attending your medical school? And can I talk to other students about um, how they felt supported or how they navigated it? Most important question you can ask is, do you have a chapter of Medical Students for Choice on your campus? You know, it's just like all of our activism. Don't just vote for a Democrat who says they're pro-choice. Should look at their record to see, do you actively promote expanding access to abortion? Are you proud that you provide this training? Are you, are you, is it is it essential to your values yep. as a medical school? And I think those things are key. And I think so often we just take scraps. Stop taking scraps. We do. <laughs> and we forget that that things can radically change. So the world of, to the extent that most people know the top medical schools, a lot of that is going to change in the next um, 12 to 24 months. Yeah. Because 26 states are not going to make that easy. So, you know, Georgia has Emory and Louisiana has Tulane and those are premier programs. But um if you don't have clinics where people can train and if you don't have uh, if your state makes it illegal for them to to try to do that training um that is going to diminish the ranking of some of the best programs in the country and um and i and i can't stop i won't forget to mention that texas has one of the largest footprints of medical schools in the country yes um, something that I think it's really important that people know is that we're not going back to a pre-row world. We're really going into this great unknown where people will not be able to um, use things that have been developed over time. So we have genetics and we have genetic counseling. We have the ability to identify um, and treat illnesses in utero, which blows my mind. And I, I feel dated when I say that, but it's like, you know, I'm going to be 50 next year. That's amazing. That's amazing. But if you're in Texas and you are a genetic counselor, what, what ethics and laws guide your work? Because is it ethical to do genetic counseling and not tell somebody that in 90% of those cases, you would recommend an abortion, or this is not a viable pregnancy, but I'm going to have to keep that from you because you can't terminate, you can't do anything. This is happening every single day in this country. And it's the law of unintended consequences is really huge. And then the other thing that people need to keep in mind is that doctors are people and medical students are people. And nurses, and I could go on and on and on. And basically, the trauma, the psychic, uh, emotional trauma of having to watch preventable maternal death and trauma, having to witness the other thing we're not talking about, people who are who a delay of treatment is threatening their future fertility, knowing that people have wanted pregnancies that you are going that because you're not taking action you've been trained to do that you could have done 6 months ago without even a pause you can't do that right now and the, your patient is not going to be able to have children 
or your patient is going to lose major uh, capacity to have children. They might die. They might have long lasting effects. But most importantly, they will, we will never know what a healthy outcome could have been for them because you weren't able to do what you're trained to do. And what's blocking you is not driven by science and medicine. It's a law written by somebody with absolutely no background in medicine who will never have to look in the eye of a patient who waited 10 hours to have an ectopic pregnancy treated. Not only did she not have a viable pregnancy, but she'll never get pregnant again. They don't have to look at that. They don't have to talk about it and they're not going to get sued over it. So there's a, there's a, when I say it's a slow moving catastrophe, it is a very widespread catastrophe and it's hard to believe we're here, but this is where we are. Well, thank you so much, Pamela Merritt, for joining us. You can follow Medical Students for Choice at MSFC on Twitter and at MSFC Choice on Instagram and Facebook. And you can donate to support their work at MSFC.org. And we'll put all that in the show notes. Pamela, thank you so much for all your hard work. And please let us know how we can amplify anything and get med students to really um, join your organization and really learn how they can get the most out of their experience and learn how to do abortions. Thank you so much. And thank you for everything that y'all do. Okay. It's time for everyone's favorite repro game show, Six Degrees of Abortion. This is where Marie and I choose a big news story of the week that on its face has nothing to do with abortion. And then Liz has to tie it to abortion in six connections or less. Liz, you ready? Always. You got your connecting hat on? I got my connecting hat on. All right, Marie, take it away. Liz, there is a new movie out um, this month. People are excited about it. It's a movie that I feel like I can give away some of the plot. It involves intergenerational um, incest. It's called Barbarian, and it stars a wide array of cast members and everything. But specifically, Moji and I would like you to tie um, one of the, the characters, Justin Long, to abortion. National treasure, Justin Long, actor. National treasure, Justin Long, to abortion. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. Um, isn't Justin Long... Oh, shit. I think I'm wrong on this. Is Kate Bosworth... No, that's Kate Beckinsale. He's with Kate Bosworth and Kate, but that's not who. Because I thought I was really going to, like, be... Oh, wait! Wait! Was he in the movie Dodgeball? Yes, yes, he was. He was. National treasure. Okay. And that's the Owen Wilson movie, right? Yeah. Um, and Owen Wilson was just in a movie with Sarah Silverman. Oh. And Sarah Silverman. Yes. And Sarah Silverman just happens to, let me drop a name, be my best friend and also does tons of work for Abortion Access Front and has been on this podcast. So Justin Long to... Owen, Owen Wilson, Wilson. Silverman to me. That yes, classic yes. six degrees. This that is, is a classic. classic. The way it's done. Yes. Well, it's funny because yes. I was gonna the other because I was because I was confusing Kate Bosworth with Kate Beckinsale, but Kate Beckinsale was married to um, 
Michael Sheehan, who was also Sarah's boyfriend. So it was going to go through Sarah. <laughs> All roads lead to Sarah. She's the Kevin Bacon of six degrees. Um, amazing. 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 Because I don't think I'll see this movie, but I love Dodgeball so much. That me really too. I've great. seen it like 20 times. Liz, like 20 times. Makes me want to see it again. I love me it. Too. I love it. I love it. Okay. So. Before we uh, get to some other things that we're doing in the show, we're going to just take a quick little break so that Marie can wax poetic about our newest fake sponsor. If you're a lawmaker, activist judge, or just your average insurrectionist who spends their days trying to take people's rights away, you're probably sick of never being able to finish a meal at the Outback Steakhouse without a woke mob screaming from the sidewalk, either calling you a fascist or calling for your resignation then you need bros. Bros are the first noise-canceling, cancel culture headphones. Great for anyone who wants to tune out facts and logic so they can nosh on their bloomin' onion in peace. Just slip on your bros and press play on the new Ben Shapiro podcast, maybe cue up the Kid Rock, or just crank up the latest Kanye interview. Think of the pleasure you'll get tuning out the caterwauling of citizens demanding their humanity by filling your ear holes with the soothing sounds of abortion conspiracy theories or white rappers using the N-word. Use the special code TUNEOUTTHEBUZZKILLS at checkout and get a pair of limited edition bros headphones with camo leather and a sterling silver mud flap chick. Bros noise-canceling cancel culture headphones. Hear what you want. I like Marie that bros are just headphones with awful programming suggestions. They're not, <laughs> yes. not really anything new. <laughs> like the phones that have the numbers programmed in and you get you got you can't. You just have to deal with it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, and I I also do like the mud flap chick on the Oh, on the yeah. Sides. On the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You would never catch me in that. I love that. Yeah. I think it's really, really good. Well, yeah. are you more of a like a, a balls dangling from the license plate emoji? What are you? Definitely <laughs> not that either. You know, as a non driver, none of it. <laughs> <laughs> Zero things. Um, well, we don't. Let's move on. We don't have a comedy guest today, but we do have a story that is abortion adjacent and also rife with comedy. Marie. Tell us about it. This the story, I guess, is just is north. It's the North Pole of abortion adjacency. <laughs> we're first, we're first gonna pivot to Mormon country, which is where this story takes place at the magical underwear university, aka Brigham Young. So thanks to social media, we've learned more than we wanted to about the lengths that the non-sex educators will go to to maintain their purity culture. So multiple posts have come out over a summer outbreak of armpit crabs among BYU students. Turns out the crabs like that little pouch of skin and hair. And if they're left to fester and develop, they can they can turn into an outbreak of crabs. FBK, we do not, for, for to be clear, do not want anyone to think we are anti-kink. However, bagpiping, that is totally a practice. Thrusting a member into an armpit fold is a sexual, it's a sexual pastime. But you know what? Bathing is also. So this is not bagpiping. This is folks that need to book a sex educator and and find out a little bit more. So I have a couple questions since I'm going to be honest. I did not read the article. So um, are we clear that this is about 
penile penetration of an armpit and you're Correct. just a dirty yes, person it's- and it's not just somebody who doesn't wash their armpits and they got crabs. No, 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 no. Actually, okay. crabs apparently like clean people the most. It's oh. about an armpit frottage. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, Moji's yeah. gone uh, more deep into this. She's like, this is not something bathing fixes. Okay. No, bathing doesn't fix it. You need to get your rid or rit. Forget what it's called. Anyway. It's called rid. It's not called that I know. Rid. Yeah, yeah. Experience, I'm, but I'm, I just, I'm sure, sure BYU sure. will it. invest in that before, you know. Yeah. How much money do we think the BYU uh, student, <laughs> the student uh, medical service has invested in a cra- pit crab epidemic? Mm. <laughs> How much pit crabbing? Imagine. Yeah, I'm going to use this flashlight and all because to maintain my purity culture and do all of this. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense to me. Again, I'm like, if God cares about your purity, then it doesn't matter where you stick your pecker. (laughs) Yeah, it's that it comes from that school of eating ain't cheating bullshit where it's Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm, if you're pulling mm -hmm. out your wiener and then um, literally coming into an armpit. It's pretty much sex. I mean, do they think, yeah. do they say that yeah. fingering's not sex? Because that's like a amorphous digit going into a sex part. Like, how does it? How does this play out in the larger scheme of how they maintain "quote unquote" purity culture? Unclear. It's all sex. <laughs> it's all sex. It's all sex. And it's, all it's sex. and it's crabs. And also, the cure for crabs. Is an economic issue because you have to pay for it. <laughs> so, I'm, just, I'm just bringing around. I'm bringing it around that if you have to buy treatment for pit crabs, <laughs> also part of the economic situation. Just bringing it full circle to the show. <laughs> I feel like that's the mouth. That's all. That's all that needs to yeah. be said about yeah. this issue. <laughs> there you go. Pit crabs are an economic issue. I'm just saying. That's our show, everybody. Don't get pit crabs. Thank you to Pamela so much for joining us again. You can follow Med Students for Choice at msfc on twitter and msf choice on instagram and facebook and you can donate to support their work at msfc.org thanks for listening y'all you know we want to be here as you navigate your pit crabs and these dark days (laughs) and we want to be a reliable source of of info and pit crab treatment and uh we just want to be here for you we got you subscribe write a review Give us five stars. Five. It's really? One, two, three, four, five. A, a whole a whole digit? A whole hand? A, a whole hand. A whole hand. You're not it's using stars. you have a hand of stars. Five stars. Ah, yeah, five stars. It's the best way for our podcast to reach more people. And by doing so, you're helping more people learn about this assault on abortion access. And to keep up with all the latest repro news, follow us on social at Abortion Front on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. FBK Live is edited by Remy Tournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. Action alert! AAF has teamed up with Obstetricians for Reproductive Justice for an action in Washington, D.C., November 3rd. Watch the AAF Insta live stream at 12.30 p.m. Eastern as medical professionals testify about how these abortion bans are harming patients and preventing them from their moral obligations as medical providers. It will be powerful, so tune into the live stream, or you can watch and listen in pod form as we will be dropping it next week as a special episode. It's going to be awesome. Also, looking for where you might fit in to do some abortion activism? Well, look no further than our five-part training series, Operation Save Abortion, available in video and podcast form. Gather friends, watch or listen together, and follow the activity guide for each episode for the full experience. Details 
on the series are at operationsaveabortion.com. And make sure you check out the activist calendar as well, which is chock full of local and national actions and educational opportunities. Looking for some action? Like to be a part of the solution action? Faith Choice Ohio is doing a webinar training on self-managed abortion next Wednesday, November 2nd at 12 p.m. Eastern time. Learn how to share information about why self-managed abortion through medication is a safe, effective, and convenient reproductive health option for those in your community. Sign up at the link in the show notes. Also, listen up. Abortion is on the ballot in five states directly. To see if your state is one of them and to prepare your sample ballot, go to aafront.org slash 2022. I would venture to say abortion's on the ballot in all 50 states, but I digress. I'd second that. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to do a self-promotion alert. Uh, I am doing my annual Twin Cities year review shows at the Parkway Theater in Minneapolis, December 30th and 31st on New Year's Eve. So if you want to just kick this year to the curb by dragging people hilariously for filth with me, please join me and get tickets on the Parkway's website and we'll put the link in the show notes. And lastly, join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FBK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all our activism at Abortion Access Front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. We leave you with the words of Pastor Bruce Mejia of the First Works Baptist Church in Anaheim, California, who shows his whole anti-queer ass in the name of the Lord. Cartoons. Your kids talk about cartoons. Let me let me name off a couple of cartoons here. Uh, My Little Pony. <laughs> Now you think to yourself, well, you know, that's ridiculous. My Little Pony? Well, apparently My Little Pony is promoting sodomy. They have like a sodomite pony on that thing. How about this Buzz Lightyear? <laughs> but you know, apparently Buzz Lightyear, this year became Buzz Lightqueer. <laughs> Am I mistaken or not? You guys heard about that? Yeah. He became a sodomite. Here's another one, Doc McStuffins. SpongeBob, Arthur. Feminist Buzzkills Live, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. When BS is popping, we pop off. New episodes drop Friday. If you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.